morning to you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Good morning to you all. I hope uh, you have had a good rested weekend and are ready for a new week. We find ourselves still in the essentials, and we have come to the essential of prayer. And there's no fancy title. That's what the title of the lesson will be, The Essential of Prayer. And on Wednesday, um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the content of your prayer, uh, different methods of prayer, uh, so that you have some practical uh, ideas for how you can, uh, enhance is the wrong word, uh, for how you can uh, appropriately um, just seek to be praying to the Lord on a regular basis and in different formats and in different contexts. We'll be talking about the more practical side on Wednesday. But today, what I'd like to do is just kind of go to the foundational, fundamental elements of what prayer is, why we pray, and, and what type of attitude and motivations we're supposed to have when we're praying. And so more about kind of the underlying uh, elements of prayer itself is kind of the focus of what I want to do today, and then we'll do the practical side of it on Wednesday. So uh, we're going to be turning a lot in our Bibles in order to unpack these different elements of prayer, so make sure you have your Bibles ready because we'll be flipping around. But to start out, what I want to do is just simply ask the question, and then we'll read through various texts to answer it, what is prayer? What is prayer? And so, in order to answer that, we're going to turn to a few passages. First passage is going to be Genesis, Genesis chapter 20. So go ahead and turn there. Returning here because this is one of the first places that we see the word prayer uh, when it comes to translated into English. Uh, It's the first, one of the first places we see that in the Bible. And basically what we're going to do is uh, go through several Old Testament passages to look at what is the person who is praying doing? What is he saying? So then we can have an idea of what prayer really is. So Genesis 20 Verse 7, and we, uh, we were here a couple weeks ago now, um, because this is when Abraham and Abimelech are having that, uh, that kind of awkward element where Abraham says that Sarah is not really his wife, she's his sister, and then Abimelech's like, well, okay, I'll take her as my wife, and uh, then bad things happen to him, and then God comes to Abimelech and says, hey, you shouldn't touch her because she's Abraham's wife, and he's like, I didn't know that, and then God says in verse 7, Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So, one of the first things we see about prayer at the very beginning is that it is making a request of God, is asking for God to do something. Okay, so that's one element. Let's keep going. Let's go now to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, in 1 Samuel, uh, in chapter 1, we, uh, you, for those of you who are unaware, we're looking at a woman named Hannah, um, who was barren, who didn't have any children. And then God grants her a child, Samuel. And in chapter 2, we see that Hannah is worshiping the Lord because of this. And it says in chapter 2, verse 1, then Hannah prayed and said, And then we see here just a long uh, exaltation of God and who He is and what He's done for her. So there's another element that we see in prayer. Not only is prayer involving asking God for things, making requests of Him, asking Him to do something, it also involves praising Him, thanking Him, exalting Him. Okay? Now let's keep going. Let's go to the book of Ezra. And in Ezra, we're in Ezra chapter 10. In Ezra 10, the, uh, there's been a group of people that have returned to Jerusalem from exile. We studied this several months ago, um, but they've returned. And Ezra finds that the people have been intermarrying with the other nations, when that was clearly 
not something they were supposed to be doing. And he is broken over this. And in chapter 9, uh, it actually gives us his prayer. He talks about what he said in uh, chapter 9, verses 5, all the way through 15. But then it summarizes that prayer in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, now while Ezra was praying and making confession. So we see through this text that prayer not only involves making requests of God, not only does it involve exalting, thanking, praising God, it also involves confessing sin. It involves confessing your own sin. It involves praying for the sin of others, asking that God would forgive sin, and repent, and really expressing, hey, this is the sin that I committed. This is the sin that these others have committed, and explaining why it was wrong, explaining why it broke God's law, why it is offensive to him, and then repenting of it, confessing it, asking for forgiveness. Okay? So that's something we see. Now let's keep going. We're now going to go to the book of Jonah. This is where things... Well, actually, they haven't turned quite yet. Jonah. right after Obadiah and right before Micah, in case you're wondering. It's there in those complicated uh, minor prophets if you're not uh, familiar with the order. And in Jonah chapter 2, you know the story. Uh, We studied this on uh, a couple Sunday nights, uh, several Sunday nights um, last year. Uh, As you know, Jonah was swallowed up by a fish because he disobeyed the Lord. And here it says that after he's swallowed up by the fish, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said. And as you read it, I'll read just a couple verses. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple." And he continues to speak about what happened to him and what the Lord did for him. And this is interesting because it looks like this is similar to the previous prayers we've looked at where we're seeing someone asking God for something, crying out to God for something. But actually notice, Jonah is not saying, I am crying out. He's saying, I called out. So basically what he's doing is he's saying, he's describing something that happened in the past. So he's just speaking truth to God. As he's, as he's praying, he's telling God something that happened. He's just talking to him about something that has occurred and, and explaining the persp- his perspective of, of what happened. So that's interesting. I think it's even more interesting if we go to Jonah chapter 4, just right over. Jonah chapter 4. And here, Nineveh has repented because Jonah finally obeyed the voice of the Lord. He went out and proclaimed that there would be destruction upon Nineveh if they didn't repent. And then Nineveh does repent, and Jonah is upset about this. So this is very interesting. Chapter 4, verse 1, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, "'Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country?' Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. So this is interesting. This sounds more conversational, does it not? Previously, we've been looking at requests made to him, praise to him, thanksgiving, adoration. We've looked at confessing sin, describing how our sin is an offense to God and asking for forgiveness from it. We've seen that Jonah specifically has talked to God about, hey, this is what you've done in the past, and we see examples of that in the Psalms as well. And here, it's just like he's talking with God. He's having a conversation with him, just talking to him about what he thinks. So what do we do with all of this? How do we kind of bring all of this together? Because we see a lot of different elements of different things happening when people are praying. And if we were to summarize it, I think a good way would be this. Prayer is personal communication with God. Personal communication with God. And 
as a side note, it doesn't necessarily have to be verbal. If we turn real quick to one other passage, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. We studied this as well at length a little while ago. For those of you who aren't familiar, in the book of Nehemiah, in this section, Nehemiah is greatly distressed over the state of the city of Jerusalem. He is living in Persia. He's serving the king. And he's been praying to the Lord verbally about Jerusalem and asking for the Lord to do something about it. And then... In verse 4, the king speaks to Nehemiah because he's been asking, hey, you look down, you look upset, what's going on? And Nehemiah expresses, well, this is what's going on. I'm in suffering over my city. And then it says, then the king said to me, what would you request? And he says, so I pray to the God of heaven. And then right there in verse 5, he says, I said to the king, if it please the king, and gives his request. So there... It's quite clear that Nehemiah, the king, the king of the most mighty nation at that time, asks him a question. Nehemiah does not go, heard, and then he goes off and he prays for a minute, and then he comes back and he talks to the king. No, he's been praying all this time to the Lord, and then in the moment when he's asked this question, oh, this could be the realization of all of his hopes and all of his prayers that he's been praying up to this point, he prays to the Lord silently in his thoughts. He offers up a prayer in that way. To the Lord. So prayer, personal communication with God, does not have to be verbal because God knows your thoughts. And so you can pray to him in a nonverbal way as well. So that's what prayer is, personal communication with God. But next we need to ask this question. Why is prayer an essential? We know what it is, we know what it does, but why is it essential? Why, when we look at the essentials of a Christian life, why is prayer one of those? There's a couple reasons. First of all, prayer is expected. Prayer is expected. And we see this in Matthew. Let's go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 6. And in this chapter, Jesus has been giving instruction about how Christians, people of the kingdom, are supposed to live. In chapter 6, verse 5, he says this, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So Jesus does not say, and we've discussed this because we've discussed the Sermon on the Mount, he does not say, if you pray, right? If you like to pray, during times where you're supposed to pray, no, when you pray. The expectation is that if you are a Christian, you pray. Let me make a brief aside, a, a brief application point here. Do you claim to be a Christian? Do you claim to be someone who loves God, who wants to serve Him, who wants to honor Him? Okay. If you say yes, do you pray? When was the last time you prayed? How often do you pray? Jesus tells us that if we belong to Him and if we're serving Him, we pray. He assumes that we pray. When you pray. There's another passage as well. We won't turn to that one. Romans 12, 12, describing how believers are supposed to act. It says that they are rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. It's the expectation that Christians will be praying. But not only is it expected, it goes a little bit further than that. It is actually commanded as well. Prayer is commanded. And let's go ahead and turn to a passage 
for this, it's going to be the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And we're well familiar with this verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul is saying, look, there's something going on in your life that occupies your thoughts. You should pray to the Lord about it. Don't just keep dwelling on it and do nothing about it. Pray for it. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. The idea is that you are to always be in a mindset of whatever it is that's going on in your life, whether it's happy, whether it's sad, whether it's something that you are thankful for, whether it's something that you are very concerned about, your mindset should be, should be such that whatever it is, you're always bringing that to God, whether it's verbally or whether just in how you're thinking about it, you are thinking to yourself, Lord, I hope that your will is done in this. Lord, please help me to be humble in this. Help me to be thankful in this. Help me to trust you in this, whatever it may be. That's your attitude. That's your mindset. When, when Paul says to pray without ceasing, and we've, we've discussed this, that is not to say that, you know, right now, if you're not, you know, if your lips aren't moving and you're not praying something right now as I'm talking, that you're in sin. That's not the idea. Again, the idea is that's your mindset. It's always a part of who you are as a Christian. Not only is it expected, but it's commanded for you to do that. But this leads to a question. Okay, it may be expected of a Christian. It may be commanded of a Christian. But, but why? Why is, why is it expected? Why is it commanded? Well, God doesn't have to give us the reason for that, but He does. So first, if you're a Christian, your salvation has given you access to God, and that's the primary thing that we're going to look at. Let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Then move your eyes down to verse 18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So, if prayer is personal communication with God, here's, here's what Paul is explaining here. You didn't have that before. Sure, you could talk to him because he's everywhere and he knows your thoughts and he knows everything. So you could talk to him and he would hear you, but you don't have access to him. There is a barrier there. there there's a wall there. God doesn't listen to you. If you have requests to make to him, if you have things on your mind that you're wanting to bring to him, to communicate to him, there's no relationship except one of enmity. 
one of wrath. But if you've been saved, you now have access to him. You now can pray to him. And so let's look at a couple of those wonderful benefits. So in case you're taking notes, what we've, done, what we've looked at so far is we've looked at what prayer is and why prayer isn't essential. We've seen so far that prayer is expected, prayer is commanded, and now we have access to a loving God. We have access to a loving God. Turn with me to Luke. I told you we'd be doing a lot of flipping. Luke chapter 11. Starting in verse 11. Luke 11, 11. Jesus is instructing his disciples about prayer. He's just finished giving them uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer. He's talked about how friends will provide for one another. But then curiously in verse 11, he says this. Now, Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I have a daughter, Aurora. She's a little over a year old, a little more, about a year and a half. I love her so much. And she can't quite get sentences out, but she can ask for things. And just the way she looks at you and asks those questions or points to that thing, wanting it, just like in me, I just, I can't help but say yes, unless it's something really bad and then I say no. She's so adorable, and I love her dearly, and I want to give her what she wants. That's what I desire for her, because I love her so much. And there may be things where, because of my love for her, I don't want her to get hurt, or I know that if I would set a precedent for something bad or establish a bad habit if I give her everything she wants, but my attitude is, I want to give to her, because I love her. And Jesus is saying, Josiah, you're a sinner. You, have, you don't have perfect love in your heart, and yet this is how you respond to your child. How much more does God love you and want to provide for you because you are his child? And it's the same application that I can give to you, and you guys aren't, unless you're a leader here, you guys aren't necessarily fathers or mothers. But it's the same principle. God loves you purely. There's no taint to it. There's no sin in it. There's no enmity in it. He loves you. And just as your mother or father, hopefully, longs to provide to you, longs to give to you because they love you, how much more is God willing to provide to you what you ask for? So that's one reason. Next, there's another reason. We have access to an intimate God. An intimate God. Let's turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and uh, let's start in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, 
waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, here's here's the argument that Paul is making. Paul's saying creation groans because it's under the curse of sin. It longs to have that burden lifted from it. And so we as well, if we're Christians, we have a longing to see our sin removed. We have a longing to see Christ return, for evil to be done away with, for the pain and suffering in this world to be gone, because it's so hard. And Paul says, so as a result of that desire, that yearning, that groaning against the curse that we experience now, we long for something greater. We long for it to be renewed. We long to grow and have sin removed from us as we live. And he says the Spirit longs for that as well. And not only does he long for that, he knows exactly how that should happen in your life specifically. And so when you pray to God, God doesn't just hear your prayer and then you better hope that you prayed right and that God, because God's only going to answer what you pray. So you better make sure your prayers are good. And there's an, there's an element where you do need to make sure you're paying attention to what you pray. Because there's a part of it which we'll get to when it comes to motivation of you should be having the right heart motivation when you pray. But the point that Paul's making here is, but God knows your thoughts, right? He knows your heart. Many times he knows you better than you know yourself. And so when you pray, God has such an intimate knowledge of you and who you are that he will, he he guarantees that he will provide for you exactly what you need to see you renewed, to see you grow in sanctification, to see sin removed from your life because he knows you so well. So we have access to an intimate God. And then finally, we have access to a powerful God. Let's go back to Ephesians. Chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's go ahead and start in 14. Verse verse 20 is going to be the one that expresses this, that we have access to a powerful God. But verses 14 through 19 kind of summarize the elements of what we've already discussed. So let's start in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Not only does God love you, not only does God know you better than you know yourself, and therefore he knows how to provide for you exactly what you need, he can provide you exactly what you need because he's all-powerful. He created the universe. 
He sovereignly directs everything. And so he can provide anything. Guys, that is the God that you have been given access to if you are saved. You have been given access to someone who loves you unconditionally and fully without taint, to someone who knows you intimately better than you know yourself, and to someone who is the most powerful being in the universe. Are you praying to him? That's why it's expected and commanded. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you pray to such a God as that? I want to look at one other passage just to finish this out. Uh, Turn back to Luke. Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus is speaking more about how the disciples ought to pray. In verse 1, he says this. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Let me pause right there real quick. So, He's saying, don't lose heart. Why would he talk about that? Well, we can be praying to God, and perhaps he may not be answering our prayers as we would expect him to, or at the timing that we want him to. So we might lose heart in praying. What's the point of prayer if God isn't doing anything? Let's continue. They ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, in a certain city, There was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Oof. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection otherwise, By continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Guys, God may not answer your prayers according to your timing that you expect. He may not answer your prayers specifically according to what you want him to do for you. Because as we know, he knows what you need better than you do. And so oftentimes he may be providing what you need in answer to your prayer as opposed to necessarily what you want. That being said, you can know, you can have confidence that God wants the very best for you. And it may not necessarily look like how you would imagine it, but He cares for you. If there's injustice being done to you in this life, God will make it right. And it may not happen in this life. It may happen at the end. But he will bring about justice. He will right every wrong because he cares for you, because he loves you. The the unrighteous judge, he did it because he was just so sick and tired of this woman constantly coming to him. God, it's not that way as we've seen. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows you. And so when you come to him continually, you can have confidence that God is not like an unrighteous judge who just thinks about himself and what will make him the most comfortable. God longs to provide for you what you need. So, that is why prayer is an essential. It's expected, it's commanded. You've given given access to a loving God, an intimate God, and a powerful God. But this begs another question. We've asked what prayer is. We've asked 
why prayer is an essential. But now, what about God's sovereignty? God is all-powerful. So why should we pray to Him in the first place? He's sovereign. Why, why should we pray to Him? If He already knows what's going to happen, He already knows what He's going to do, why pray? God's got it. Well, the primary reason is, well, because we're commanded to. <laughs> so there's that. You can't get around that. So even if you might have theological thoughts about why you should or shouldn't pray, those are irrelevant because God commands you to pray, as we've already seen. But there are some answers that we can see in Scripture. So first, let's turn to the Old Testament, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 19. This is a very uh, popular children's ministry Bible story because this is when Sennacherib comes to invade Judah and sends a letter to Hezekiah defaming the name of God, saying that he's going to come and he's going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. It says, verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 20, see, Hezekiah, he takes that and he prays to God about it. And verse 20 says, Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. That's very interesting. I thought God was sovereign. He is. And yet, he tells Hezekiah that because Hezekiah prayed, God is going to do something about it. Interesting. Now let's go to the New Testament. James. James chapter 5. another area where uh, it's explained that we ought to be praying for the things that concern us. Uh, but starting in verse 14, James says this in chapter 5, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he gives us an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. That was during the reign of Ahab. Verse 18, then he prayed again after the confrontation at Mount Carmel, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So not only in the Old Testament do we see that God responds because of prayer, but also we see in the New Testament, there is an explanation that when people pray, that's when things happen. That's when God works. Interesting. And then finally, to bring it all together, what, what about Jesus' example? We've seen some discussion in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but like Jesus, Jesus was God. Jesus was the Son of God Himself. And so how does He view prayer? Well, Let's turn then to Luke chapter 22. This is so, this is so powerful. Luke 22. Uh, Jesus, uh, and uh, verse 44. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested, tried, convicted, sent to the cross to die. It says in verse 44, and being in agony, what was he doing? In response to this agony, in response to this pain, because he knows that God is going to forsake him. He knows that he is about to undertake the full, the fullness of God's wrath. 
for sin. He knows he's about to take that. He knows he's about to take that pain and the physical pain that comes along with it. He is going to spend hours bleeding, hurt, exhausted, dying of suffocation on a cross. He knows that's all coming. He is in agony. And what does he do about it? It says, verse 44, he was praying very fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And then just earlier in verse 42, what does he say? He kneels down to pray and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What? Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, the Son of God, who knows that God is sovereign, who knows that God has orchestrated all things to occur exactly as he plans, and Jesus knows what this plan is, he prays to God, asking that if there's any other way do that instead. So what's the application for us? How, how do we bring this all together? Based on what we've seen in the Old Testament, New Testament, and Jesus' ex- example. God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things, but he has chosen to use prayer to accomplish his will. He has chosen to use prayer to accomplish his will. Because, remember, you and I do not know what God's plan is. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what He's going to do. We can only see the past and live in the present. And so when you pray, you can pray for certain things to happen. You can request, make requests for certain things to occur. And that is how God, and God is going to use that to accomplish His purposes. That's simply how He has expressed He's going to work. And so, you just need to trust that He has it all planned, and that when you pray for things to happen, they might, because you don't know, they might not happen if you don't pray for them because you don't know what the future holds. So when you pray, know that God wants you to pray because that's how he's chosen to work. Okay, so we've seen what prayer is, seen why prayer is an essential. We've looked at the question of God's sovereignty, but finally, how should we pray? How should we pray? And on Wednesday, we'll be talking about the content. We'll be talking about different methods. But here, I just want to talk about our attitude our attitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that we've already looked at, says, pray without ceasing. So, the first element of how we should pray is this. We need to pray with frequency. Pray with frequency. Next, we need to pray with humility. As we've seen uh, when we examined the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his listeners in Matthew 6, 5 through 13, that when we pray, we're not to be like hypocrites. And he says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corner so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's two sides to this. We need to be humble before men. So basically, we need not to be seeking glory from men when we pray. So when you pray, 
don't try to see who's watching you. Or make sure that you announce to everyone, hey, like, don't go away from this lesson. Please, don't go away from this lesson. And be going, hey, I prayed. Look at me. I'm awesome. Now, you can certainly go, hey, would you hold me accountable? I want to pray more. You want to pray more. You know, let's, like, catch up with each other every so often to see how our prayer life's going. That's good. But, like, just, like, announcing it or trying to look impressive because of that, no, that, you're, you're a hypocrite. Don't do that. You're acting like a hypocrite. But also, you need to be humble before God. Humble before men and humble before God. When you pray to God, how did Jesus pray in the garden? Yet not my will, but your will be done. In the Lord's Prayer, all of it is, is, is based around, Lord, please do this and this and this, but it, it's your will, it's your kingdom, it's your glory. There's humility there. With frequency, with humility. Next, with thankfulness. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Oftentimes when we pray, it's kind, it can be like this, just this rote thing. You pray because you're supposed to. You pray because you know that's what Christians do, right? It's expected, as we talked about earlier. It's commanded. When you pray, pray with thankfulness. Not only looking for things you can be thankful for, but even just remember that the reality of your ability to pray, your access to God who loves you, who is intimately knowing of you, and who is powerful. You have access to him. Be thankful for that. 1 Peter 4, 7, we need to be praying with clarity. He says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Guys, if you're talking to God, God is not a far-off, ethereal being who just exists and you make prayers to him as part of a religious experience. God is a person. God hears you when you pray. And like, you know, if you call, call your friend or FaceTime them or like talk to them face-to-face, -face, you're not just like, hey man, so uh, yeah, that thing, and you like start rambling like sometimes you do when you pray. You don't do that to people that you know, that you're having face-to-face -face contact with, or at least you shouldn't. <laughs> if you do, maybe you should work on that. When you pray to God, God's listening to you. He's listening to what you say. Be a sound mind. Be, be clear. Think about what you're going to pray, and then, and then pray it. Put thought into it. Next, without hypocrisy. We've kind of already seen this, but Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. If you pray to God, and specifically when you're praying in a confessional way, you're confessing your sin to Him, which you ought to be doing. Have you forgiven others? If you're, are you holding sins or perceived sins? Maybe they didn't actually sin against you, but you don't know, and so you're pretty sure that they did. Are you holding that against that person? Are you refusing to forgive? If you do, your prayer life is going to be hindered. So you need to pray without hypocrisy. And finally, you need to pray with sincerity. With sincerity. Psalm 86, 1 through 4 says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O oh, you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. What I mean by that is this. When you, need, when you pray, you need to be engaged. Not only do you need to have clarity because God is a person that you're speaking to, and so you should actually consciously, intelligently think of what it is you're saying to him, but you need to be sincere. You're not just talking to him because you can't think of anything better to do. You're not just talking to him, again, because it's expected and it's commanded. You talk to him because you want to bring whatever it is to him. There may be something that's very difficult going on 
And you're not just praying to him because you know you're supposed to. You're praying to him because this is difficult and God is the one who can help me. Or you're joyful. This is such a joyful thing. And God is the one who gave that joyful thing to you. So that's why you're praying to him. You can go on all ends of the spectrum. Are you sincere in your prayer? Are you fully engaged with what it is that you're praying? Because God is listening. So, we need to be praying with frequency, humility, thankfulness, clarity, without hypocrisy, with sincerity. To close out, how are you doing on that? I would challenge you to take those elements, frequency, humility, thankfulness, clarity, without hypocrisy, with sincerity. Just examine those. Take the time to look at each of those. Do you frequently pray? Is that a common practice in your life? Again, when was the last time you prayed? How often do you pray? Do do you even think about how often you pray? Do you you have a, a plan in place of, I pray regularly at these times? It's a good idea. Are you humble when you pray? Humble before others, humble before God, not trying to get your way, but you're praying respectfully to Him because He's the God of the universe? Are you thankful when you pray? You're thankful for what God has done for you, and that's what drives you to pray for Him. Do you pray without hypocrisy? Have you forgiven others? Have you sought to be at peace with others in your life? You shouldn't be praying to God if you have not forgiven others when you have been greatly forgiven by Him. And are you sincere? Are you, how, 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 when you pray, if you can think back on those times, did you actually mean it? Were you actually engaged with it? Not just with your intellect, but, but with your emotions? Were you engaged? Where are you at? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Wednesday, we'll look more about content. We'll look at methods that can help your prayer. But those are the things I'd like us to consider until then. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we can just have a, a brief study of what prayer is, why we should pray, how we should pray. This has been incredibly convicting to my own heart. As I took the, the time to study this, I, I don't pray as often as I should. I don't come to you as eagerly as I should when you are the one who, who is everything to the Christian. Thank you for the conviction that it brought to my heart, and I pray that it would be convicting and encouraging and challenging to everyone else here, that we would desire to grow in our prayer at whatever stage we are at um, so that We may be honoring to you and we may be accomplishing your will because that's how you accomplish your will is through our prayers to you. In your name, amen.